Oh, that's great. Uh, it's wonderful to be able to come and share with you. I think for every uh, husband at Well of Life, they should, uh, you should pay us a, an extra fee because part of the service that we uh, provide for you is a reminder of when your wife's birthday is. I now know it's my wife's birthday on Tuesday. Thank you for your announcements. I knew already. It's a good thing I'm talking about marriage today, isn't it? <laughs> I, uh, I was thinking back, so me and Hannah have been married uh, for uh, just over six and a half years now, and uh, I was reminded of the kind of week leading up to our, our wedding. I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday we had arranged for uh, Hannah to bring her stuff into my apartment, and then she was going to be staying in a hotel for the week leading up um, to our wedding day on the Saturday. And I remember her sort of turning up with two massive trunks, there was a number of suitcases, there were boxes, and I suddenly had this moment of panic. I mean, if anyone kind of knows me, I'm very orderly, I'm very neat, I'm very tidy, I'd cleared half a drawer for her, which I felt was more than sufficient, and suddenly there was all this stuff, and I was like, oh, oh my goodness, life it's really happening, like it's really, really, you know, it's happening, and then I remember a couple of days after we got back um, from honeymoon, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and so at this point I was living in a place called Guildford, uh, so before we got married, living in Guildford, and Hannah was living in London, so we would commute up and down for our dates, and it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I was kind of looking at my watch and looking at Hannah, going like, haven't you got a train to get to, you know, come on, yes, we, we don't want you to miss the train, and then suddenly it dawned on me of like, you're here, <laughs> forever. Oh, yeah, this is marriage. And I don't know about your experience. <laughs> but everything in life changes. It's a transformative moment. And it's only kind of after the first kind of couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, do you start to see the kind of the ripple out effect of how every single part of your life is now different. Every single part of your life has been transformed has been um, improved, has been added to. And I think that's where some people almost get stuck. I think one of the, the struggles that people have is that they try to live these kind of independent lives. They're just now together. They're just two independent people doing two independent things, but kind of sharing a bank account or sharing a kitchen or whatever it may be. But actually what God has intended for us in marriage is so much more. And so one of the things I just want to kind of um, start off by saying is no matter where you are today on the kind of spectrum of health of your marriage, if you're in a good place, then fantastic. I believe still that God has stuff that he wants to say to you today. He wants to strengthen you and affirm you so that when difficult times come, when trials come, crises come, actually you can remain standing strong no matter what. Maybe you're in a place where actually some of the, the spark, some of the fire of the marriage has actually started um, to decrease. And it feels like you're just going through the routine. It's just, it feels like you're going through a certain kind of um, the motions. But actually God wants to break in right now. He wants to rekindle that fire. He wants to breathe his breath into your marriage and kind of alight it again. Some of you may be holding on with your fingertips it may, it may feel so desperate right now, but I believe that God has a plan for you. I believe that God wants to come and meet you, come bring healing and restoration to your marriage. 
And so no matter where you are on that spectrum, no matter what you identify with, first and most importantly, it's not too late. It's not hopeless. It's not the end of the story hasn't already been written. We believe in a God of redemption and restoration. And I believe, and I've, and I've seen it, that marriages, when we follow God's plan, can be changed and transformed and renewed. Finally, if you're single, please don't tune out for the next 20 minutes. There's something in marriage, actually, and I think this is where it's so important, that actually kind of represents and shows the rhythm and dynamics that applies to so many different areas of our life. And so as we look at some of these principles, I believe they're, they're not just for marriage, but actually they fit into every area of who we are. I think the second thing is if you're single is that it's important to know almost what the goal is, to know what the picture is. And so then even now as you start to prepare, whether you're going to get married shortly or it looks like it's a long time off, actually there's investment and work that could be done today so that you reap the reward and the benefit later. So to do this, I want to ask three questions. What was God's plan for marriage? What does an abundant marriage look like? And how do we contend for an abundant marriage? So that first one, what was God's plan for marriage? You may not be aware, but there's a cosmic reality to marriage. A plan and a purpose that is so much bigger than just simply two people doing life together. Otters mate for life. Not only do they mate for life, but they also hold hands while sleeping. Isn't that adorable? Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever seen? Otters aren't married. Otters aren't married. You know, sometimes you go to the zoo and they're like, married to... That's not marriage. If marriage was simply defined by doing life together or living, you know, in the same house or the same apartment, then anyone who's ever had a tenant in their house would be married. Marriage is so much more than that. And we cannot just limit it into a, this idea that it's, a, it's a, um, a creation of man, that it's a kind of a social or civic invention. Because if we do that, then we ignore the purpose that God intended. And if you think about it, there's so much about marriage that doesn't make sense. A sacrificial love to the point of laying down our life. A commitment to permanence. Even though we don't know the future, even though we don't know what's ahead of us, a commitment to permanence, a resolute faithfulness to each other, a forsaking of all others, a profound intimacy and vulnerability that seeks to serve the other. And if it was simply a human institution, then for many, actually, the cost would be too high. And I think we see the consequence of holding this viewpoint through the staggering rate of divorce, both in the world and, sadly, inside the church. You see, a worldly perspective, a worldly definition of marriage simply doesn't work. Because at its core is man's brokenness. My brokenness mixed with my spouse's brokenness is only going to lead to more brokenness. Yet if we see the fact that God has ordained marriage, uh, ordained marriage, and at its core is not my brokenness, but God's transformative power. It's no longer about my own strength or my own ability, but God's grace guiding us and transforming us. Jesus affirms that marriage was God's, uh, was God's plan. When the Pharisees are asking him about divorce in the Gospel of Mark, 
Jesus actually starts quoting Genesis and he says this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. For whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is quoting Genesis 2, 24 and 25 to kind of show that actually it was God's plan. It was God's intention. It was God's um, invention, this institution of marriage. And it's within marriage that actually sexual union should take place. You see, that's why sex and marriage cannot be separated. Because each one finds meaning and relevance in the other. Marriage was always God's plan. And part of it is because in marriage we see a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, actually also quotes that same verse from Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then he goes on to say, this, is a prof- uh, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When Paul uses the word mystery, what what he's meaning or what he's referring to is a truth that was once hidden that is now revealed in the light of Christ. A a reality that, that had always been there, but only when we look at it through the lens of Jesus do we recognize the significance that it holds. You see, marriage is a prophetic testimony to the relationship between Christ and his church. For millennia and millennia before Jesus' birth, marriage kept pointing forwards to a time when we as the church will be the bride and God as the groom will come and we will be united in radical intimacy. Marriage is therefore so much more than just two people doing life together. It's a revelation to the world of God's desire for us to be reconciled to him. I think it's because of this profound reality that maybe... More than anything else, we see marriage is so constantly attacked, sidelined, and thrown away because it has this beautiful power, this beautiful picture of God's desire in us. So what does an abundant marriage look like? It certainly cannot be either the number of partners in the marriage or the number of marriages, as these are both antithetical to what marriage is. If you were to ask those outside the church, they may define it as being, well, you know, an abundant marriage is a happier marriage. Or an abundant marriage is a, um, is a marriage with more sex. But the problem with defining it as a happier marriage is happiness is not guaranteed to us. If we define it simply by sex, well, great, it's actually intimacy that truly matters. Or maybe they'll say it's a marriage free of conflict and drama. But there will always be crises. There will always be storms. There will always be circumstances in our life. And while none of these things are inherently bad, they're not wrong, if we use them to frame our understanding of an abundant marriage, we will always come up short. In fact, I actually believe if we pursue these things, if we make these the goal, this is what a successful marriage looks like, we end up in marital poverty. We find a husband who feels disrespected and empty, a wife unloved and alone, a husband or a wife who have lost their passion for life, a husband or a wife who cannot forgive. You see, these are the fruits, the results that come about when we define an abundant marriage according to the world. 
For me, an abundant marriage is defined by an overflowing of love, a greater measure of grace, and an endless supply of hope. You see, central to all these things is they're not dependent to what happens externally, and they're not dependent on what happens on the outside, but they're dependent on the inward changes we grow in love for God and for our spouse. Too often we evaluate success based upon the context that we find ourselves in. If only I had more money, if only I had more time or less stress, whatever it may be, then life would be fine. And if that was the case, if it was based on external things, my marriage would be better with more money, my marriage would be better with more time, whatever it may be, then for millions and millions of people around the world, it would be hopeless. For there is no opportunity to change or fix these outward situations, these outward contexts that they find themselves in. For the subsistence farm in Bangladesh, while he may have no ability to change his circumstances, the promise of the gospel means that he is able to have an abundant marriage just as much as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And that is almost the guide that we need to keep having in our mind as we evaluate what does an abundant life look like. Because it cannot be based on external circumstances. It cannot be based on situations we cannot control. But it can only be based on the truth and the power of the gospel. You see, the promise of an abundant marriage comes about from us being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We must resist and push away all definitions that do not wholly rely on the working of God in us and through us. For if we see an abundant marriage as being one defined by love and grace and hope, then whatever trials, whatever difficulties, whatever circumstances may come your way, these markers are unchanged. The loss of a job, the falling into sickness, the death of a loved one, whatever that circumstance may be, love, grace, and hope can still flourish in your marriage. It is then from this that we start to see the fruits of a healthy marriage, a greater, more intimate sex life, the ability to handle and navigate trials and tribulations, greater moments of joy and closeness. These are the results of an abundant marriage, but cannot be how we define success. So how do we contend for an abundant marriage? Now we know what the goals are. How do we actually get there? What, are, what does it practically look like? Now, unfortunately, there isn't a, a perfect seven-step program, a seven-step plan. If there was, I'd make a lot of money. Instead, what we must do is lift our eyes to God and step into the rhythm and the grace that he has ordained for marriage. This goes back to what I preached about and when we started the series, this idea that Christ must be our cornerstone. And everything we build, everything we seek to kind of grow and develop in our life must be set against Christ, the cornerstone. For if we seek to build on anything else, then we will end up with a crooked and misaligned marriage. And Paul knew this. And one of the things that we see in his letters to the early church was his desire to help them process what it is that God has done in their life and then how to allow that to ripple out into every single facet. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he addresses his heads on. He says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We bring our life into alignment with Christ as a cornerstone, 
by becoming imitators of God. In every area of our life, we seek to conduct ourselves with the same love and grace and mercy that Jesus displayed. And now, we have to be honest, that sets the bar high, especially in marriage. Paul then goes on to describe the kind of specifics of what that looks like in marriage. And he does this by focusing on the different roles that God has called the husband and wife to play. First to the wives, he says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. In today's culture, uh, the word submission has almost become a, a dirty word. But actually, it's a word that I believe as Christians we need to reclaim, we need to model, we need to display. And the Greek word submit carries this, this beautiful picture of a military leader who sets the course and the strategy, and then the soldiers who help to make this happen. And Paul was bringing this picture into marriage. The husband is to set the vision and the direction. But remember, submitted under God, so it's God who overall sets the vision and the direction. So the husband then discerns that, and it's the wife and the husband partner together to make this happen. Yet submission without respect simply becomes obedience. And obedience over time leads to resentment. But submission with respect becomes a desire to work together, to achieve all that God has called you to accomplish. Submission becomes the action, but respect becomes the attitude. Paul then moves on to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Paul uses a, an interesting word for love here. The word uh, agapo is most often used to describe the love that God has for his people. It's a sacrificial love. It's a costly love. It's a love that puts the needs of others first, regardless of the cost or the price to pay. It's the same word that Paul uses when he talks about how Jesus chose the cross because he loved us. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's insane, the, 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 the kind of the raising of the bar. Husbands, you need to look at your wife. You need to love your wife in the same way that Jesus chose the cross for us. A love that seeks what's best for her, not what advantages himself. A deeply sacrificial love. We can see that, that seeking God's will for marriage raises the bar drastically for both husband and wife, regarding the role that we are to play. And we must understand that these roles, not in the terms of our own rights, this is what I deserve, this is what I get out of marriage, but instead of an, as an act of love and service to the other. All godly person, uh, personal relationships are based not on what can I get, not on what am I owed, but how can I give, how can I serve, how can I love. This is the example that we see in Jesus and what is important to remember is that while each role is born out of context to the other, it's not dependent on it. We're called to live out these roles regardless of whether the other person in the marriage is or isn't. And that's hard. That's difficult. I don't want to minimize this and say that this is an easy thing to do. But through the Holy Spirit empowering us, transforming us, conforming us to the likeness of Christ, he gives us the grace and the strength and the ability to step into that. When we seek to serve and love the other, we step into the grace and strength that God has laid out for us. 
And we start to see a harmony and a, river, a rhythm develop. And then what is so beautiful is that this profound picture is presented to the world of a couple working together in the roles that God has ordained for the advancement of his kingdom. It becomes a testimony. It becomes a picture of the love that God has for us, this bride, the church, with love at the center of everything. RJ, if you could come up. This doesn't mean that it's easy. But the promise of Scripture is that it's accessible to all. It's something that will take a whole lifetime to perfect. We will never truly kind of reach the pinnacle. We will never be the perfect husband, the perfect wife here on earth. But as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, as we allow him to correct and make a judgment, each day we step closer and closer to the reality that God has called us. If you guys can stand. If you're honest, all of us fall short of this. And it could be easy, particularly in that moment of desperation, to abandon hope. To go, well, I've messed this up too much. I can't have more love, more grace, more hope. That's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie of the devil. Instead, what we need to do is humble ourselves to fall on our knees in repentance to God where needed to our spouse and say, God, I need you to break into this moment. I need you to break into this situation. I believe that this is what you have called me to do. This is what you've called me to be. And so I surrender myself to you. Change my heart. Let me step into the new creation that you won for me on the cross. And I believe that as we seek to build an alignment to Christ, as we put Christ as our cornerstone, the outcome will be that our marriage will grow in love, in grace, and hope. If you're here with your um, spouse, just hold their hand just for a moment. In the Church of England where me and Hannah got married, they, they start the wedding service by reading this, this beautiful declaration of what marriage is. And one of the really beautiful things I remember when we had our premarital counseling, our, our minister told us was that for every wedding that you go to afterwards and they read this declaration, it's almost like a reaffirmation of what you have stepped into. It's a reminder, it's a calling back to the truth of what God has for you. And so today to finish, I want to read this over us. I want to read it as a, as a charge, as a, as a goal, as a sense that this is what God has spoken to us. If we're not married, this is what God has laid out in front of us so that if we do get married, we're stepping into. And in it, then allow His Spirit to refine your heart, to, to correct your steps, to come and meet you in this moment and step into the abundance and the fullness that God has for you. And so, marriage is a gift of God in creation through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman grow together in love and trust, they shall be united with one another in heart, body and mind, as Christ is united with his bride, the church. The gift of marriage brings husband and wife together, 
in the delight and tenderness of sexual union and joyful commitment to the end of their lives. It has given us the foundation of family life in which children are born and nurtured and in which each member of the family in good times and in bad may find strength, companionship, comfort and grow to maturity and love. Marriage is a way of life made holy by God and blessed by the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is a sign of unity and loyalty which all should uphold and honor. For it enriches society. It strengthens community. No one should enter into it lightly or selfishly, but reverently and responsibly in the sight of Almighty God. Almighty God, we we thank you for this beautiful gift that you have given us. We thank you that it was not man's invention, but your plan all along. We thank you for the picture of Christ and us, his church. And I pray now for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will strengthen us now. That where correction or adjustment needs to be made, Lord, that you will, in the kindness and the tenderness of your love, reveal that to us that you will just empower us to go out into this world to be this this kind of radical um, departure from what the world says marriage is, to be this light and this testimony to your goodness. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. God bless you. We uh, Remember there is a, a ministry team. We would love to pray for you if you need prayer. For those of you who are watching online, um, thank you for joining us. This is something we're going to be processing in Connect Groups next week. So if you're not a part of a Connect Group, sign up to be one, and we'll see you next week. God bless.